Good morning again to you, and it's good to have you here now at the beginning of summer. School's out, and uh, summer has begun, and so glad you're here with us this day. This morning, I'm going to, we're going to go and take a trip. We're going to visit three places. We're going to meet three people, and when we do so, we're going to find out three very, very, very important things about ourselves. First of all, the first place to which we're going to go is going to be, um, if I can get that picture to change there, Brittany, I'm having trouble here. Um, would it change for me? Well, the first, oh, that's where we're going first of all. <laughs> we're going to go to a morgue. And uh, where do you, what do you find at a morgue? You find a coroner. And so we're going to meet a coroner, first of all, at the morgue. That's where we're going to go first. After the, after the morgue, we're going to go um, to a museum and a very specific museum, and, uh, oh, I forgot to turn it on. Thank you, Brittany, for covering for me. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> Thank you. We're going to go to a museum, a very specific museum, and uh, we'll see what we'll find at this museum. This is the one that we're going to go visit here. And then thirdly, we're going to go to a workshop. <clears throat> and we're going to find somebody that's uh, a, a workshop, uh, that's a pottery workshop, someone that's going to mold things out of clay into very beautiful pots. So those are the th three places we're going to go today. And, uh, and I think um, as we do so, as I told you, we're going to find out, we're going to answer this question, who am I? <clears throat> I would submit to you that this is probably the most important question that we can ask ourselves. Someone has said this, all heresy has its origins in a wrong view of humanity. The most important thing in the world is to understand who you are. Because if you get this wrong, you get Jesus wrong. You get God wrong. You get everything wrong. It can be said, perhaps, that the most important theology is not about God. It's about us. Because once you mess that up, you mess up everything. And I would contend to you that in the culture we live in, it is the wrong answer to this question that is destroying everything in our culture. It's because we're getting this wrong. So come with me on a visit, first of all, to a morgue. Now, I have visited a morgue. <clears throat> Let me tell you how it happened because it was really kind of weird. I was 17 years old, and I was a senior in high school, and I went with a friend of mine to Madison, Wisconsin, to watch the state basketball finals for high school. While I was there in Madison, my cousin was there in Madison at the University of Wisconsin Medical School. He was a medical student there. And so we went to see my cousin Jim, and... Uh, Jim said to us, these are two 17-year-olds. He said, would you guys like to see a surgery? We said, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes. I mean, believe me, this happened. Today, you think, you're out of your mind. The lawsuits would be so great. Remember, this is 1970. It was a different world. And so Jim snuck us into the, the hospital. We were gowned in everything. The only thing you could see was the little slits in our eyes. We had hats on, masks on, booties even on, everything. 
And so he ushered us in because it was a teaching hospital with all kinds of other medical students. We watched a lumbar laminectomy. It was a back surgery. And so we're watching this. And I thought, oh, I'm going to faint. That would have been horrible. They didn't know we were two 17-year-olds in there. Well, at one point the doctor said, adjust the suction. Well, my friend Russ was over there. <laughs> so Jim stepped up and did it. And then the doctor said, okay, the surgeon said, come, come close, and I'm going to ask you some questions, because remember, this is a medical school. And we said, oh, no, <laughs> oh, no, we got to get out of here. So Jim got us out of there. Then he said to us, and by the way, Jim had a, um, he knew how to pick locks. He said, would you like to see my cadaver? We said, sure. <laughs> so he picked the lock. We went, and we saw his cadaver. And then he said, would you guys like to go to the morgue? We said, yeah, sure. So he took us to a morgue. And uh, he picked the lock into there, too, and we got in, and we looked at these bodies and shelves like this. And before that, I wanted to be a doctor. After that, I mean, I was finished. And uh, it was really, really weird. So I went to a morgue when I was a 17-year-old with my cousin. But now I'm going to bring you to a different morgue, a morgue far more significant than the one I went to in Madison, Wisconsin in 1970. This is the morgue, where you find the coroner is God. And this is how Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 begins. As for you, now who's you? Well, the you is the Ephesian believers to whom he's writing. And by extension, us. As to you, 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 he's going to say it over and over again. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, the re responsibility of a coroner is to look at a body and to determine whether or not that body is dead or alive. And so God, the coroner, looks at our spiritual bodies, not the physical bodies, but he, and he, his pronouncement as he looks at us is, is, you are dead. Why? Well, he identifies two things about us that are dead. First of all, we're dead because um, we have sinned, and the word transgression means that we have deviated from the right path, and the word sin there means we have missed the mark. Because of sin, because we, do, we are not on the path of righteousness, and because we completely missed the part, part, the mark, because we have done things that are wrong, and because we have failed to do things that we should have done, we are spiritually dead. So that's what the coroner first says. But then he's got to figure out, if he's going to be a coroner, he, a good coroner, he's got to figure out, why did we die? And so here's the reason why we died. Well, we died, first of all, because we have transgressed from God's path, but it gets worse. Not only have we transgressed from God's path, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, not only have we diverted from God's path, but we are following not the ways of God, but the ways of this world. And it gets worse. And we've been following the ruler of the kingdom of the air. We have been following the Pied Piper of hell. Who's he? The spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient. And so now, the autopsy is being performed. And God looks at us spiritually and says, we're dead. 
We're dead because we do not follow God's path. Our sin has killed us. Besides that, we don't follow the path of righteousness. We follow the path of our world. And besides that, we are following the Pied Piper of hell, not the living God who created us in his image. Oh, but it gets worse. The autopsy is not finished yet. All of us, now all I think last I knew includes all of us, all of us lived among them at one time. Oh, we can't say it's the bad people out there, you know, those bad people that do all these terrible things following Satan. No, it says all of us lived at one time among them. What, how, what did we live for? We live for my personal peace and pleasure and happiness. That's what we live for. Following, the, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. And it gets worse. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Whose wrath? God's. Isn't that beautiful? No, it's horrible. That's horrible. But that is who we are. When God looks at us apart from Christ, we have no spiritual heartbeat. Our spiritual brainwave is completely flat. We are 100% unresponsive to spiritual stimuli, and we are unable in any way to communicate rightfully with God. We're dead. Completely dead. Someone wrote this. As a consequence of sin, people have no relation with God and distorted relations with each other. They are powerless to change and are pulling down, pulled down by, down to destruction. That's our condition. Do you want to know who you are? And you don't want to know who I am? Apart from Jesus Christ, I am spiritually dead. Now, I, I have taught at a community college. I taught philosophy of religion for some semesters down in Longmont, Colorado. And I've studied world religions. I've studied the 12 classic religions and other religions as well. And I'm quite certain I'm true on this. Every single religion in the world teaches that human beings are basically good or morally neutral. And all of us have the ability, if we choose, to respond to God. There's only one religion that says that is absolutely, totally, 100% false, and that's Christianity. It's one of the many uniquenesses about Christianity. It is not like other religions. It is different. In its Description of human beings. No, we cannot find God. No, we do not search for God. This is Paul. And Paul quotes everything he writes in this passage from Romans 1 from the Old Testament. Or from Romans 3, rather. There's no one that's righteous. No, not so much as even one. There is no one that understands. There is no one who seeks God. No one. We seek the gods of our own making, but we do not seek the true God. This is who we are. Now that is called double jeopardy. 
Because on the one hand, we being made in the image of God have this God-shaped vacuum in us. But on the other hand, apart from God's enablement in our life, we can't even respond to God. And, did you see that phrase? We are objects of wrath. Well, our society says to follow your heart. But the Bible says, no, no, no. Your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Our society says, oh, seek your own happiness. But God says, no, 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 no. We, God wants you holy. Well, we're all children of God. No, the Bible says, no, we are objects of wrath. Whose wrath? God's wrath. And by the way, don't get this wrong. God's wrath and our wrath are worlds apart. We get mad because people do things to bother us and our, our wrath is out of control. God's wrath, the Bible says God is angry every day. That doesn't mean something, oh, no. God is, he can never not be opposed to evil. He can't. If he ever for a single millisecond is not opposed to evil, he is not God. He has to be. That's what he is. He is consistently, it's part of his character, he is opposed to sin. That's part of his character. I don't know if you know, but there's a major mainline denomination that in the last couple of years was a, making a new hymnal. And one of the songs they wanted to sing in the, put in the hymnal was the song, In Christ Alone. Do you sing it sometimes here? I suppose you do. But in that song, it's got... Um, um, and, and by the, let me see if I can remember, and by the, oh, till on that cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. But this Christian denomination did not like the word, the wrath of God, because they don't believe it exists. And so they wrote to the Gettys, who wrote this hymn, and said, could we change that line to this? Till on that cross where Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. Well, that, that's true. That's not what the writer said. And the writers wrote back and said, no, you cannot change this line. We wrote what we wrote. And then the denomination skipped. They took the hymn out of their hymnal. Because they didn't want anyone to think about the wrath of God. Who are you? Who am I? Apart from the grace and the mercy of God, I am spiritually dead. So what do you make? What is a person, what do you call someone who is dead but alive? I heard it. Zombie. A zombie, yes. We are spiritual zombies. That's what the Bible teaches. We're spiritual zombies. We're alive. We're doing all kinds of things. But spiritually, we're dead. But the beauty is, that's only the first part. Look what comes next. Because... It's as fallen man is not sick and wounded. We're dead. And you've heard, probably heard the statement, God is not in the business of making good people or, or bad people good or good people better. He's in the business of making dead people alive. That's a, diff that's a huge difference. They're not the same. Well, let me take you to a museum. This um, took place uh, about 30 years ago. I was on a missions trip to Mexico, a long trip, and we came to this town um, called Guanajuato. Any of you been there in Mexico? 
Um, and we got to Guanajuato. It was a beautiful, very, very old town in Mexico. And there was the Museo de las Momias. And they said, do you want to go to the Museum of the Mummies? We said, yeah, sure. <laughs> so we went to this museum. Now, Guanajuato is a very interesting place. It's high. It's very, very dry. And for some reasons, bodies do not decompose there. So they had a cemetery system there by which you had to pay for your crypt every year. And if you didn't, if you didn't pay, they simply took the body out and put them into a warehouse. But the bodies didn't decompose. And so some years ago, they decided to build a museum. This is it, the Museum of the Mummies. And inside, this is what you have. These have not been embalmed. These are bodies that were that didn't decompose because of the various environmental conditions in Guanajuato, Mexico. Well, I was there. Now, can you imagine? Somebody walks into the Museum of the Mummies and sees all of these. These are real people. They're bod their bodies. And said, I say to you, come to life. And by the way, when I was there, they didn't have glass in front of these cases either. <laughs> there was no glass, nothing holding them in there. And they just, and they come walking right out. You, oh no, this is weird. Well, spiritually, that is exactly what Jesus has done. Look at this. Because of God's great love for us, there's his motive, God. Here's his motive again. Who is rich in mercy. Love means you seek to act, sacrificing yourself for the best interests of someone else. Mercy means you see someone's dire straits and your heart is tender for them. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace. Grace means God's favor to those who don't deserve it. And it gets better. He not only gave us life. Can you imagine going to the Museum of the Mummies and you say some words and those mummies spring to life? But then what happens? They're raised with Christ and then he takes us into the palace and seats us around the throne with Jesus Christ in the heavenly realms. Why? In order that he might show the coming ages, eternity, the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And it gets better. Look what happens next. By the way, grace means God's riches at Christ's expense. He pays the bill, we get the riches. That's what grace means. Now look what happens. Oh, someone wrote this. Someday, God will lift the curtain and you will be on stage. In the audience will be millions of angels. Behind the angels will be the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth. The floodlights will descend upon your life. And underneath will be a trophy to God's grace and kindness toward you because you had a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now it seems to me that I missed a verse there. Here's what it says. This is verse 6 and 7. And God raised us up with Christ and see, oh, we saw it, and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace in us. So, God's motive, great love 
rich mercy, saving grace, incomparably rich grace. And what did he do? He made us alive with Christ. He raised us up with Christ. He seated us with Christ. And he's going to show us off in Christ. He took us from the morgue, the dungeon, the pig pen, and the judgment hall. And he gave us life. He gave us freedom. He gave us cleansing. He gave us forgiveness. He took us from the grave to the emergency room, from the emergency room to the recovery room, from the recovery room to the throne room, from the throne room to the dining room, and from the dining room to the trophy room of heaven. That's what he did. Can you believe it? That's what he did. Did you hear that? He took us from the morgue. And once he gave us life, he took us out of the emergency room, put us into the recovery room, and re-recovered. And then, in the recovery room, he didn't just do that. He took us into the dining room of heaven, and that's not all he did. And then he seated us in the place with his son. And then, for all eternity, we are the trophies of God's grace. Brothers and sisters, the angels are not the highest creation. We are. God's highest and greatest creation is you. Who are the trophies of God's grace? We are. For how long? All eternity. Philip Yancey wrote this. It's called an article called Angel Envy. It seems that God, inexplicably, God has chosen to invest the future not in angels, but in us. We humans, frail and subject to death, prone to temptation, notoriously inconstant, feckless, and forgetful at worship, we who are the scum and the glory of the universe, according to Pascal, have a central role to play in the reclaiming of the cosmos. I respect and admire angels, but I no longer envy them as I did in childhood. Could it be that angels wear lapel pins and collect stuffed representations of us? We're the trophies of God's grace. Now, can you imagine? Who am I? Well, we started off by saying, I am spiritually dead. But... Who else am I? I am the trophy of God's grace that throughout all of eternity is going to be in the spotlight for all eternity reflecting the glory of God. Wow. How do you put those two in your same mind? I am both spiritually dead, but I'm the trophy of God's grace and will be throughout all eternity. Well, why would God do this? Why would he take spiritually dead people and turn us into the trophies of God's grace? Well, because he, 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 he's up to something. Here's what he's up to. He now goes to his workshop. Remember, we started in the morgue. Spiritually, we're dead. Then we went to the Museum of the Mummies and saw how... God, through Jesus, made us alive in Christ. Well, now we see why. Here it is. By the way, this is probably the, um, next to John 3.16. These may be the best known verses in all the New Testament. 
For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God. It is not by works so that no one can boast. We're saved, but not because of what we have done. Otherwise, if, if there's anything we could do spiritually that could, could merit God's grace, we would have a hierarchy. We'd say, well, I'm more spiritual than you. There's nothing. You've heard the statement, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Not a single one of us can declare that we are better than any other human being. And that does a lot to change us. Because every one of us, which corpse is better than another? <laughs> which, which one has more life? Every corpse has no life. So if anyone is given life, it is, there's no reason you can ever boast because we are trophies of God's grace because of what He has done. And we put our faith in Him. But why? Now when I was young, I memorized these verses. I've done so for probably 60-some years. But for some reason, I never memorized verse 10, which is very sad because it's the next verse. And it's really the key. Four, why did God save us by grace, not by works, but through our faith? Why? Why did he do it? For we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to get a free pass to heaven, to have fire insurance policy, to go to church occasionally. No, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. When they're describing in Acts the life of Jesus, they said, Jesus went about doing good. Who are we? We are Jesus. We are the body of Christ. That's who, we, that's who we are. Not individually. He is our head. Jesus is our head. We are the body of Christ. He went about doing good. God is in the process of working us so that we may do the good works that Jesus did. Why? Because that's what God has been doing all along. He's prepared for us to do these things. Now, um, we are God, we're in Christ. We're God's workmanship. We're the ones. Now, um, there are four statements here, and this is a multiple-choice test. Which one's correct, A, B, C, or D? There are, most religions of the world say you're saved by your works. You do enough good deeds, you get to go to heaven. You don't do enough good deeds, the other happens. That's, that's called religion. It's not Christianity. There are others within Christianity that say, well, this is how you get saved. You have God's grace and your faith, and then you have to do a certain amount of good works. And you add the three together, and what do you get? Salvation. That's not true either. But the third one is one that very commonly is, well, God's grace plus our faith equals salvation. There's a problem with that. You skip verse 10. Grace plus faith. You cannot add anything to your salvation. But salvation produces good works. The fourth one is correct. D. 
That's what the Bible teaches. No, you, you see where the works is. It's on the other side of the equation. It is not that which makes you saved. It is that which is the result of your saved. Why? Because we're his workmanship. We're created. That's why we're here. We're Jesus' representatives. We resemble him. We do together what he did. Good works. That's who we are. We are God's masterpiece. He's putting us, like this is Da Vinci's masterpiece, the Mona Lisa. We're God's masterpiece. And so, who am I? Let me answer the question with the following. But first of all, a quote. The most powerful of all spiritual forces is man's view of himself. The way in which he understands his nature and destiny, indeed, it is the one force which determines all others which influence human life. I submit to you this is the most important issue, is who am I? And here's the answer of the Word of God. Number one, we are made in the image of God. Who? Every human being from conception to the grave is made in the image of God. You have never laid eyes on a human being who is not made in the image of God. The image of God through sin has been defaced, but it has not been erased. You've never, I don't care what crimes a person has done, you've never laid eyes on a person who is not made in the image of God, but every human being, apart from the work of Christ, is spiritually dead. There is no, we do not have spiritual life innately in us. Our sin and many other reasons, as we outlined, have destroyed that. That's gone. But in Christ, we are alive. And not just alive, not only have we been given life, we've been seated in the heavenlies and we've been invited to the great banquet. And we are the eternal trophies of God's grace. We're alive in Christ. And we're the trophies of God's grace. That's what we're called to be. We're the trophies. We're, when God wants to display for the cosmos throughout all eternity who his essence is, he simply is going to point to you and say, there it is. There's, my, there's who I am. You know where that person came from? <laughs> and you know who they are? Trophy of my grace. And we're God's workmanship. That's who we are. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. This passage does not instruct readers to do anything. It only states what God has done in Christ. Surely, proper understanding of this text starts with speechlessness, then moves to wonder and worship, and finally to obedience and service. So how do you respond to this passage? Speechlessness, wonder, and worship, obedience, and service. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, it's hard to believe that you would have done this for us. And in fact, you've done it for all humanity. It's amazing. I pray that this precious congregation, and myself included, would come to understand who we truly are before you. 
It's quite humbling, but it's incredibly awesome to think that you would do this for us and through us. I pray that you give us a hint through your Holy Spirit of who we are because of you. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen.